0: Well, in our studies of the book of Revelation, the triumph of the Lamb, we've been observing the unrolling of the seven-sealed scroll, which the Lamb of God, the Lamb who had been slain on the cross, had been given the right to open. Now, the scroll re- represents what? It represents the title deed to the earth. And it's what it shows us, it's, it's written about what must take place in the future. Yes, God's kingdom has come it's already but not yet you'll hear that often it's already here but not yet completely fulfilled and what must ultimately take place to finally bring christ's kingdom to fruition on earth fruition well during the time in which we now live it's called this it's called an age of grace an age of grace which means God not counting our sins against us because of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. He doesn't, our, our sins are not counted, our own works. We have to get rid of that. We have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he has come, that he has lived, that he has died, that he has risen among us, atoning once for all for all of our sins. Folks, that's the gospel He died according to the Scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised again the third day according to the Scriptures. And because of what Christ has done, we shall forever have fellowship with God, and he shall be our God, and we shall be his people. This is how you and I can stand before God, redeemed. This is how each one of us can stand before God. No other way. But to a world that rejects the grace that God offers, there only remains future judgment. Future judgments. And that's what we're seeing in this book. Six seals have been opened up. Six seals, but one remains. The six seals have brought us false peace, war, famine, and death. The fifth seal... A promised coming judgment, a vengeance of God, because of the prayers of the martyrs, and when the six seals opened, the day of the Lord begins, which was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets, Jesus Himself, and also other New Testament authors. Up to this point, millions upon millions of people have died. These are not happy passages. These are not, yay, these are hard to hear because the worst is yet to come. Millions dead, but the worst is yet to come. Well, today we come to the opening of the seventh seal, which contains all the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments that follow the entirety of the final judgments, all moving towards the climax of Christ's second coming and establishing of his kingdom on earth. Fourteen judgments that are open sequentially. If you're taking notes, the, the note that comes in your bulletin, you can turn on the back side of it, and it shows you a little bit of how Revelation is, the, how, how it's written, how it's contained, how the the seven seals, the seventh seal goes to the the seven trumpet judgments and then the seven trumpet judgments to the seven bowls. Well, the seals that have been opened thus far have taken place in the first half of what is known as the Great Tribulation. But the timing cannot be precise. We don't know the exact timing of it. But one thing we can ascertain from the text, when the seventh seal is opened, And when the seven bowls follow in a terrifying and horrifying chain of events, make no mistake, these are terrifying, they are horrifying, they're awful. Which ultimately leads to Christ coming back with his own to judge who is left alive and all who have died throughout history. Well, it's time to somberly and soberly look at the seventh seal the first four trumpets blow. That's the name of our passage this morning. And I'm going to separate the passage into two two parts, the events preceding the trumpets blowing and the events accompanying the trumpets blowing. And And we start with the events preceding the trumpet blowing. If you've been with us previously, you know that heaven is a loud, active, place that just is there's is always something going on and it's just if i just thought of this a person who is deaf if the first time that you ever hear anything is is heaven oh my goodness that is going to be amazing but it's such an overwhelming place to a new it starts with an innumerable amount of saints we saw that last week innumerable uncountable around the outside of the throne. Then you have myriads and myriads of angels, meaning millions and millions and millions of angels. Myriads being the the highest Greek number that you could actually print times a myriad. So it's just an amazing amount of people. 24 elders around the throne. Then four living creatures. Not to mention the thunder and the lightning going from the throne itself don't mention the bow, the greenish bow, the rainbow that goes across from the flame. that no, that doesn't make noise, but yet, my goodness, this place is sensory overload. Quiet it is not. But when the opening of the seventh and last scroll, the last seal takes place, there is simply silence. Like this room right now silence john writes in chapter 8 verse 1 when the lamb opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour how, did, did john have a wristwatch on did john have a cell phone was he seeing how long that this particular silence would last no that's that's i think that's all he could ascertain It was long. It was a long silence. We might call it the calm before the storm. The great dramatic pause. It's as if one commentator has written, like before the foreman of a jury reports a verdict. For a moment, there is perfect silence, and everyone awaits what is to follow. Everyone is silent. They're all watching. Basically, the thought is, they can see what is on the scroll. They can see what is written on the scroll. And these. <gasps> well, if you're like me, silence can be deafening. And it can be unnerving. But before God, silence is something that is called for. Zechariah wrote, Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Again, on your face. Silence, quiet. What is God going to do? We can safely say the question that the martyrs asked in chapter 6, verse 10, how long, O sovereign Lord, how long until you avenge our blood, is now answered. It's being answered. It begins now. the lord answering his people's supplications. Well, John now notices two two being, or two new beans, not two beans. He sees new beans. And these servants are very important. Look at verse 2. He said, "Then I saw the seven angels." Again, words are important. It's called a definite article, "the" angels who stand before God and the sev- and seven trumpets were given to them. Now we're not going to spend too much time here because no one really knows. I mean they have ideas who these seven angels are because they're they're written in the Old Testament especially in the in the non-biblical portion of it. But they're they're not your run of the mill messengers. They are the angels that stand before God. They do God's bidding and they stand before him day and night day and night are they the most important angels in the hierarchy we don't know but they have important task of blowing the seven trumpets i brought up this morning for those of you who think that they're going to blow things like steve fleischauer plays (laughs) believe me i'm not going to play this this is called a shofar this is this comes from an animal horn and they hollow it out and they use this, and then they put it to their lips, and somebody who has, actually has the ability to do this, they play it, and it makes a loud noise which is unmistakable and piercing. So, again, a shofar. That's what kind of horns these angels are handed. Well, why trumpets? Why these trumpets? Because they're an important part of the national life in Israel. Trumpets were blown to gather people Oh, you hear that? We got to go. They're blown to announce war. And they announce special times and special events. The prophet Joel wrote about this day. He wrote, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. Now, while the angels are lining up, and I still believe it's silent while they're doing this, there are other things going on. Again, things going on, they don't have to make noise, but you can still see what is happening. I'm going to ask you this, a total aside, but it is relevant to our passage today. How often do we feel that our prayers go unanswered? Don't don't raise your hand now because you'll be thought of as unspiritual. Speaking of silence, many times we come to believe that our prayers aren't being heard by the Lord. We know that that's not the case, but yet when he is silent, when God is silent, we often say, Why? What's going on? Church, God hears your prayers. God hears every single one of them. In fact, they're stored up. They're stored. And many times when we don't receive an answer, we might think that the supplication that we give, we we pray for these things, we might see, this might be a no. God might be saying, no, not even hearing you. That's not the case, but often it's wait. Wait. Wait for the perfect time that I will bring this to pass. Do you understand this? That God considers your prayers special? We don't often believe that, do we? We often think, well, I'm I'm just this person here that really, what good am I? God hears your prayers. And he thinks that they are special before text messaging, before emails. Have you ever received a letter, especially from a loved one, especially from your loved one, that had perfume on it? That makes something, whoa, whoa what's in here? It's like a letter sent with perfume, and that's what god is receiving here he's that's why they had incense we often think we're we are so anti-catholic but they do have some good good word pictures that i think that they took from the old testament incense what was incense for incense were the considered the prayers of the saints being raised up and lifting up to god it's a word picture A special aroma. God loving the smell of your prayers. We need to pray more, church, more fervently for God to move in our lives and in the lives of those who need Him. And don't we all need Him? Verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Now we know from the Scriptures that in the tabernacle in the temple the golden altar that stood before the veil it was used for burning incense this was part of worship in the old testament this was for those of you who love the christmas story this is what Zechariah was doing before the angel told him that he and elizabeth were going to have a baby zachariah is in the temple performing the services he's burning incense in the temple Again, burning incense on this altar was a picture of prayer ascending to God. What do you think that most of the prayers were? That the martyrs were praying? Let you think through that for just a second. I think it was probably this. Jesus told us to pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. God, take care of this now. We saw in in Revelation 6, how long? not because of what we've done, not because, of, because we've been killed, but how long, God, are you going to put up with this? God, how long are you going to let your name be profaned? God, let your kingdom come. God, defeat sin. Lord, avenge, your de- uh, avenge our deaths for your namesake. Not for our namesake, for your namesake. And dramatically and unexpectedly, the silence is shattered and the supplications are answered. The silence is shattered and it's not something that we would think would happen. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Can you imagine the picture? Judgment's coming down. A commentator helps us here. He wrote, on the great day of atonement, the high priest would put incense on the coals in the censer and then with the blood of the sacrifice enter the holy of holies. But in this scene, the angel put the incense on the altar which presented the, prayer, which presented the prayers before God and then cast the coals from the altar to the earth. The parallel in Ezekiel 10 indicates that this symbolized God's judgment and the effects described in Revelation 8, 5 substantiate this view. A storm is about to begin. Jesus explained these in rebellion this way. He said, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that each one of us have done evil things and we still do them from time to time. But the difference is, do we run from God and cover or do we run to God for his mercy and his love? And because the world won't come to God's altar for forgiveness, the altar comes to the world with judgments macarthur writes a divine firestorm has begun in response to the prayers by the end of the coming trumpet and bold judgments god's, god's purging of his creation will be complete we witness the events preceding the trumpets blowing and now we somberly observe the events accompanying the trumpet blowing. the first four trumpet judgments are connected and interdependent, God using his creation to judge those who worship it rather than the creator. Make no mistake, we have all been given the responsibility to be good stewards of our planet each one of us have been given the responsibility to steward our planet well but it seems that very few people get it right many people are not in the center many people are on one side or the other either they destroy nature to achieve their intended goals or worship it by putting vegetation and animals ahead of human life there is a balance There is a balance. But make make no mistake, this is God's world. This is His world. He created it, and He now judges mankind with His creation. There's no reason not to take these upcoming judgments, not to take them literally. We need to look at these and say, this is going to happen i don't need to make an allegory of what oh this might mean this this might mean that remember this book was described by itself by the writer as a prophecy the things that soon must take place and yes there are similes there are analogies in this book but these are things that are to take place And they've happened once before. Danny, what do you mean by that? Many of these things happened in Egypt when God with his mighty right hand took his people from Egypt out of there on their way to the promised land. It happened on a much smaller scale But now in the context, remember the context, the four angels standing at the corners of the world holding the winds back. This is worldwide. These are worldwide judgments. They're not localized. And everyone, everyone will be affected by these in one way or another. Maybe not, they might not die from it, but they are going to be affected. This is what's coming. must not get caught up in the trap of the liberal scholars when they don't believe that any supernatural event can occur because I guarantee you one supernatural event has happened in your life when you became born again when you have received Christ you were risen from the dead the first trumpet vegetation is targeted As you listen to the next seven verses, you're going to hear a third, a third, one dash three, a third used 11 times. Also look for patterns of three. This is the way that John wrote it. As catastrophic as these judgments will be, a third, a third, a third. This is not the end because there's two thirds left. God is still merciful here. He's still allowing folks to come to him. There's a third left. How bad will it be? How bad will it be? Well, the first trumpet, one-third of the trees are burned up, and all of the, of the grass is burned by hail and fire mixed with blood. This is scary stuff. The text in verse 7 says, the first angel blew his trumpet, and there was followed, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up, all the green grass. Not a third, all of it. Like the seventh plague in Egypt in Exodus 9 prophet joel also promised fire and blood in the last days now i'd only be guessing if i knew how this was going to happen or how this will occur could it be volcanic eruptions triggered by the earthquake yes it could be does pompeii ring a bell that's one one city that was totally destroyed the seven churches of Asia Minor, they lived in Volcano Alley. They knew what was being said here. Weather patterns disrupted because of the volcanic ash in the, in the air. Well, what's that cause? When your weather patterns are destroyed or, or altered, you have things that are called thunderstorms and hail comes from them and lightning comes from them. Hail causing blood to pour? Maybe the hail hitting people and causing their blood to pour. I don't know. But what it will cause are food shortages for the animals on the earth. No grass left. No alfalfa. No wheat. It's gone, causing great destruction to the water sources. It will not be a good Earth Day. It will not. That's what the first trumpet, vegetation is targeted. This past Friday, my wife Colette and I were able to travel to Ventura. We had the inv- invitation of Bradley and Lori Downing. And we got to go spend a day at the along Highway 1 over there between Ventura and, and Carpinteria. And Bradley and I were able to feed the fish. Again, we didn't catch any fish, but we did fish, we fed them for a period of time on the shoreline. And I could not help but think, because this passage, I've been studying it this week, looking at the vast Pacific Ocean. Of course, the Channel Islands are in the way, but yet you can see past the Channel Islands out, and it just goes on and on and on. And you would see an occasional fishing vessel go across, or you might see the, the boats that go out to the, to the outdoor, the uh, oil platforms. You would see them go back and forth. And you're looking at this and going, my goodness, this is going to be terrible when the second angel blows, the second trumpet trumpet, and salt water is targeted. The seas are targeted. One third, one-third of marine life and ships are destroyed by a burning object that falls into the water. Verses 8 and 9, the second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, this is reminiscent of the first plague in, in, in Egypt when the Nile was struck by the staff of Moses, and it t- turned to blood. But this has escalated to a far bigger cosmic extreme. The proportions are monstrous. And it's something like a great mountain was cast in the, into the sea. Could it be a meteor or an asteroid? We're not told. We don't know. But it was cast in. That's a possibility. Some believe it's not a metaphor. Others believe it is. In the scriptures, what is a mountain considered? This is a metaphor in the scriptures. A mountain is considered a kingdom or an empire. Could it be both? If a third of a seafaring nation's ships are destroyed, they're wiped out. But know this three quarters of the earth's surface is covered by the sea. Three quarters of it. Do you know that at least 50% of the oxygen is produced by the ocean? 50%. How much does the, the, the world, or the, excuse me, the sea provide food? How much of that? And all of the oceans, they're connected. They're all interconnected. Could it be some kind of a red tide? I don't know, it could be be blood, it could be literal blood, but a red tide killing the third of the creatures in the sea. Could earthquakes in the mountain falling into the sea cause giant tsunamis? I mean, we've seen tsunamis that destroy a third of the ships. There are are over 56,000 registered merchant ships in the world today. 56,000. These go from all the super tankers all the way down to the small fishing boats. And this isn't even considered the naval vessels. We think that an aircraft carrier is unsinkable. Not to God. Not to God. The economy and the ecology are jolted third trumpet, fresh water is targeted. Fresh water. One-third of the fresh waters are poisoned, killing many people by a falling, falling object known as wormwood. Verse 10, the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Fresh water, the inland water, is now polluted. One third of the streams, one third of the lakes, one third of the rivers, one third of the swimming pools. They're all polluted. We think, oh, we're immune? I have a pool in my backyard. I'll be able to drink this, right? No. It falls upon the waters. This also includes wells. I know this is an obvious statement, but you cannot survive without water. You cannot. Wormwood is a a plant that grows in wasted places. I look at this as something like an alkali weed. When people put it in, it was sometimes used, they, some people boiled it, made a tea out of it. I don't know why they would do this. But if wormwood did get inside to something, it poisoned it. At the least bit, it made it bitter. Well, how could this happen? How could, how could this happen? Warren Wiersbe gives a possibility God has his stars numbered and named. He also has our hair, what little bit is on our heads. It's likely that this fallen star is molten and that as it nears the earth, it begins to disintegrate and fall into the various bodies of water. If a star actually struck the earth, listen to this, if a star actually struck the earth, our globe would be destroyed. So this star must come apart as it enters the atmosphere. Of course, this event is, divinely controlled, is a divinely controlled judgment. Therefore, we must not try to limit it by our, our known laws of science. Don't put a limit on what God can do. If God can create the earth, he can do this. you also need to know that Wormwood is the symbol of calamity in the scriptures. One example and then we'll move on. Especially men and young men, listen to this. But it takes two to tango. Solomon wrote this warning that we all need to heed. For the lips of forbidden women drip honey. Honey. And her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. I added that this morning. I don't know why. Guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. If men, women, boys, and girls die from this poisoned water, where does that leave the fish? Where does that leave the animals who are still surviving? They're devastated. We've seen vegetation targeted, salt water targeted, fresh water targeted. Now the fourth trumpet, heavenly bodies targeted. Heavenly bodies. One-third of the sun, moon, and the stars are darkened like the ninth plague Of Egypt heavenly lights are dimmed and turn off for a time the heavens truly do declare the glory of God we look at it and we think oh my goodness look at those stars the heavens declare the glory of God if they go dim and blacked out they are declaring the glory of God believe me verse 12 the fourth angel blew his trumpet and, a th- and the third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that the third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining. And likewise, a third of the night. And we think daylight savings time is bad. We might understand pollution. We can, we can, we can speak through that. Okay, a volcano went off, and volcanoes went off all over the, wo- all over the world, and we can understand that. We can fathom these things happening to vegetation, the salt water and the fresh water maybe being affected. But when the heavenly bodies start to dim and black out for a third of the time, whoa, because I can't explain that one away. I cannot explain it away. When temperature changes because there's not as much sun, when the weather patterns change, when they become off kilter, And again, a third is substantial. A third is very substantial, but it's not the end. It's not the end yet. It's not total failure. This judgment will probably be temporary because in the fourth bowl, the sun's going to heat up and it's going to heat up really, really hot and people are going to be scorched. You would think that everyone would turn to God, right, and live. You would think because people are going to have the scriptures. One of my favorite professors at where I went to seminary, he was writing a book for those who are left behind, especially the Jews that are left behind, showing them that Jesus is the Messiah and you can turn to him after and when these things begin to happen. The time is not yet too late. Why do you not turn to Christ and live? Turn to Christ who is the light of the world. But then, like today, people stay in the dark because their deeds are evil. They stay in the dark. I do not want what you have to offer. Jesus says this in John 3. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And if it seems that it cannot get any worse, it it can't get worse than this, right? It can't be any more terrible than this. The three woes finish out our time today in chapter 8. Then I looked and I heard the eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets and the three angels that the three angels are about to blow. Worse is coming. The, act, the exact phrase, and we'll finish here. The exact phrase, those who dwell on the earth, is found five times in Revelation. Exact, the exact way the words are written. Those who dwell on the earth, five times. People who dwell on the earth, three. It means much more than people dwelling on the earth because As far as I know, each one of us, every person who has ever lived, has dwelt on the earth. This is not what John is writing about. Instead, it refers to a kind of people, a kind of people, those who live for the earth and the things of the earth. Listen to me now. This is important. These are just the opposite of the people who have their citizenship in heaven. The scriptures declare this in Philippians. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to be subject to subject all things to himself. He's speaking of those who live for now, those who live for everything they can gain now, eat, drink, and be married, for tomorrow we die. Those are the people who live upon the earth. John described this worldly, these worldly people well in his first epistle when he wrote this. He said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And later in Revelation, John makes it quite clear that the earth dwellers are not born again. They are not born again. At the beginning, I've had trouble with this for the past two weeks, and it is my fault, and I have to figure this out. At the beginning of human history, heaven and earth were united because our first parents, Adam and Eve, honored God and obeyed His will. It was perfection. It was a perfect place to live in perfect harmony with God. But Satan tempted them to focus on the earth, and they disobeyed God. And ever since, a great gulf has been fixed between heaven and earth. A great gulf that no one could jump. No one could get over it. That this chasm was bridged when the Son of God came to earth and died for the sins of the world. Again, the gospel. He died for the sins of the world, which you and I needed so much to have happen. When we hear a passage like today and we understand what's coming, and I ask you this, if God answers prayer, he does, all right? That's not a question. If God answers prayer, Why do we remain silent and not pray for those around us, for those on the other side of the world who need to have their sins forgiven and a new life given to them? If we believe what John saw is true and what he heard is true, we must pray for the souls of those who do not know the Lord Jesus and we must declare this is not a guilt trip this is not a guilt at all but we must tell those who do not know Christ that we live in an age of grace But there will be a time when judgment will come. Do not. let this charge go unheard do not say i'll I'll pray for these people tomorrow no do it today do it before you leave ask god to give you the words the words of life to those around us who need it. Father, after we hear a passage like this of what is coming, we tend to think that it won't be as bad as this. It can't be. But many times, we've seen it's worse. Lord God, break our hearts. Like yours is broken. Help us see the world as you see it. May we live differently because of it. And Lord God, I would be remiss to not give you honor and glory and thanks. Jesus, you took the wrath that was destined for us on the cross. thank you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.